three months ago, um, Melina and uh, Kendall said, hey, we're going to take some time rotating different people in on Revive. When would you like to uh, preach and how many times? And I said, well, let me do it on a day that I'm not preaching um, at church and, uh, and far away. And so I chose uh, somewhere in June, which seemed like uh, so far away. I mean, it's going to work out fine. And I'll line up someone to preach. Uh, well, here's, here's the day that I'm preaching uh, here and the next service. And so it's just me. I'm just hoping we get the text right. So um, either way, you get both of them. And um, I just don't want to confuse Psalm 20 with Romans 12. And uh, so I uh, hope I don't do Romans 20, which doesn't exist with Psalm 12. But uh, Melina asked me to um, share a text. And then she said, we're doing Psalms. And I said, well, let's decide the day based on the Psalm. And so she goes, okay, well, Psalm, this is this and this. I said, okay, Psalm 20, I want that. What day is that on? And here's today. And so I want to share with you about uh, the background of this Psalm, something that I feel is very powerful um, in our hearts. And I really believe it's something that's going to uh, move us to uh, consider something else in our faith and increase um, the ever-awareness of God in our lives, opening our ears, opening our eyes, opening our hearts to obedience and uh, to this big word, the, the big word that we struggle with in different fashions, trust. Um, and so God is always after our trust. Um, and so we have to learn how to not only trust him, but trust uh, uh, those that he surrounded us with around us in community. And so uh, Psalm 20 opens up with um, uh, a Psalm of David. I, I love how David paints pictures. Uh, he is uh, a warrior. He's a poet. Uh, he's a king. Um, but he's writing this psalm, and he's opening up this text uh, with a, a beautiful song, and it's a battle song. Um, Melina had asked me, and this is, I guess, the predictability when you sit under my teaching for a while. A couple things show up. Um, Braveheart swords, um, something re- reference to Irish, um, something uh, reference to um, movie clips, uh, something reference to New Jersey. Well, today I'm going to stay away from a lot of those, uh, and I didn't bring any swords. Um, but I do want to share with you um, how this battle hymn uh, falls into place in our lives. In uh, 1861, 1865, I believe those are the dates. Uh, so we had this uh, War of the States or Civil War, however you like to reference that. And uh, there was a, a battle between the Southern and the Northern and the Confederates and the Union. And um, I, I learned of this early on, not that early, but I learned this early on because my dad was a big Civil War buff. He grew up in Virginia. I was born in Virginia. And uh, we um, heard a lot about how these – and visited a bunch of battle sites. We went to Gettysburg numerous times, um, and we found um, bullets. We found uh, – or slugs. We found um, buckles. My uncles found uh, guns, and, and so I always loved looking at this history and realizing this great battle was fought in our United States uh, and over some, some uh, challenging seasons and times, but this battle was fought, and, it, and the history of it is powerful. Well, on the, on the southern side, or the Confederate side, was a guy named Robert E. Lee. You've probably heard of him, and so uh, the leader and general of the Confederacy. Uh, now, a, a believer, a strong believer, loved the Lord, and, um, and he would prepare for battle as such. Uh, he would go about uh, looking uh, over who, where the spots were going to be that they were going to battle. He would go visit it himself from a distance and see their formations. He would send spies. Um, but the most important thing that uh, Robert E. Lee would do is he would spend his time days before battle. And this was somewhat calculated back then. You, you chose a, a place and a time when you would battle. It was, uh, I don't know if you call it battle um, civil at that point, although they called it the Civil War. But it wasn't this rogue, I don't know where someone's coming out, not wearing colors. 
Um, they have no uniforms. But th- th- back then, this was a day where you fought kind of in a formation. And so you knew your enemy was coming. Um, so he would actually pray for days on end before going into battle. So he loved the Lord, and he trusted the Lord, and he led his, his, uh, his men um, honoring the Lord. Now, I know there's a lot of things that came out of that um, that were challenging, but uh, Robert E. Lee it was just a man with class and his preparation for battle. And, and I, I say all that to say uh, that God has given us a, um, an opportunity uh, every single day, and this is going to flow into my sermon um, in next hour, of laying down our lives as living sacrifices so that we are prepared for battle. Uh, we have this opportunity to prepare now for battle. Um, sometimes we get in the midst of the battle, we don't know we're in the battle, and then all of a sudden we're realizing we're in this and we're like, oh, I need help. So we'll cry out for help, we'll ask God for help, or it's after the, the battle's over and, it's, and you're just, just beaten down and then you're praying to God. So God wants to get us in this idea that battle's inevitable, but we can prepare for battle before the battle. And so uh, the text goes on, this beautiful passage where this is a pre-battle psalm. Psalm 21 is actually the victory after the battle. So um, I don't know if that's next week, but either way, you should read through Psalm 21 to see how Psalm 20 sets up um, the pre- and post-battle. So Ephesians 6, very familiar passage here, um, shares about how um, uh, to uh, prepare. uh, uh, Marshal Falk, uh, commander of the Allied forces in World War I, said this, Battles are won the day before. So Paul says this in Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For, this is for us to breathe and understand, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all, stand firm. So uh, when I went to uh, um, Beach Reach for one of my times as a a BSM director, we went to uh, South Padre. And to do this, if you ever, anyone been to Beach Reach, raise your hand. We've got a few beach reachers. So when you do this, you have to do a lot of training, extensive training. Um, this is in-your-face evangelism. So you're literally on a van taking people to bars and clubs and whatever, and along the way sharing Jesus with them. And i got to tell you, I mean, some miraculous things have happened on the vans where we've seen God just do some crazy things that only God can do. Um, when you try and pitch this idea to the, uh, the, the um, Southern Baptist Convention, or, or other churches. It sounds really shady, but there's actually ministry that happens to it. It's powerful, but it's very, very dark. Uh, you're in a season where spring breakers are doing anything and everything but worshiping Jesus. And uh, to be quite honest, I had just come out of that lifestyle um, a few years before that. And so I, I, while sensitive to it, I was also raw to it. And I, I felt kind of like while God had delivered me from things, I still felt very vulnerable. Like, wow, I I could have been hit with a beach reacher, and, and although I was a Christian, I was not living for Christ. So it was a kind of a wrestling, a challenge of, of doing beach reach, but it was also very powerful to prepare for this. And so what we would do is we'd, we'd practice one-on-one evangelism, practice your testimony, practice sharing different things. But one of the things we'd always do is to learn how to pray without ceasing, that we would constantly be praying all the time. It was as if we would be uh, talking and praying. We would uh, The night before we actually went out in vans, we'd go prayer walk the strip, and we'd go down, and we'd be with partners and groups, and we'd be just praying out loud. And, and uh, anyone prayer walked before? Raise your hand. 
So uh, it's, the first time's a little weird, right? So uh, you're doing it, and you're praying out loud, and you want to close your eyes. You want to put your hands together, because I don't know, somewhere in, in Deuteronomy, you felt like that was necessary. But you, you know, you, uh, you, you want to do that, but now you're opening your eyes, and you're thinking, okay, I'm talking and praying, and then I, you just get freed up in that area. And so praying is so powerful, we can happen all the time. But, but did you know it can happen in your dreams? I did not until this one night, and um, I had my team with me, and uh, my friend Joe was uh, in his bed, and somewhere outside, we, we actually stayed in this hotel right next to um, the, the Spring Breakers, so it was pretty loud. Um, where I've been beach reached before, we would go far away, the Christians would kind of huddle in the, the safe refuge, and then they'd go out into the, to the, um, the lion's den. But this time, we stayed right there where Spring Break was happening, and we were in our uh, hotel, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, I heard this like screech yell outside of our door, like, it was really piercing. And, uh, and so I woke up, and I was like, okay, what's going on here? Well, Joe wakes up like this, and he goes, sits right up, dear Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have to rebuke that right now. I know that you are stronger than this. Amen. Hallelujah. And he lays back down and falls asleep. <laughs> now, this is before Snapchat. This is before um, video options on your phone. But, oh, I wish that I had that moment to capture Joe. And I, I woke him up in the morning. I said, did you, did you know what you did? He goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said, my friend, you sat straight up there and you started praying some faith prayers. And uh, I just watched you and marveled at this. And, and then I kind of stared at you for a while. And it's a little creepy, but, um, <laughs> hey, this is praying without ceasing. And, and I, I think about this um, when we understand that Paul's already set us up in this, this realm to realize that we are doing battle, like here and now. And, and tomorrow morning, and every day of our life, we are, we are going to battle. Sometimes it's right in our homes, but we are going to battle, and he's given us everything. He's given every tool to prepare in advance. And so uh, to do this, we have to realize that we have to prepare for battle the right way. So Psalm 20 leads us into this pre-battle hymn. And so uh, let's read through it uh, all the way. I think there's some slides going around there. So we'll just... Uh, Uh, We'll go through a few verses at a time. Okay, Psalm 20, verse 1. King David says this. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Uh, This beautiful passage here that he starts out there is that, um, remember this is pre-battle, but David's saying here that that the Lord will answer you in trouble. You don't have to raise your hand if you've been in trouble um, or you felt like you've been in a challenge. Okay, just Jeremy apparently. Um, but, but when we are in this place where we are powerless, um, we have to re- remember that God is always powerful. When we think we are actually have it all together, we don't, and God is still powerful. When we think we don't need help, God is still powerful. And so uh, the, the calling upon the, on the Lord is not just when things get bad. The calling upon the Lord is that we cannot do anything on our own might or strength. We need God. I think the best place that God wants us in always is a place of desperation where we can't cling or hold onto anything and have any stability of our own might or strength. He wants us surrendered. What's the posture of surrender in battle? Not the white flag, but what's the other one? What do you do with your hands? Okay, you're you're right there, Caitlin. Okay. That was kind of like halfway I want to worship but not really worship. But but really, what what uh, what is the posture? Okay. So why, why do you think in battle that your arms are, like when you're surrendering, why your arms are straight up? Anyone? Yeah. So when I was in Southeast Asia, I got to meet um, some Laotians. And I was told when, before I meet them that you have to shake hands um, appropriately. And so uh, I was like, well, isn't that just this? They said, no. 
uh, you, this is the hard thing about holding a microphone. He said, you have to show both your hands. I'm like, why? Why is that? He says, well, back in the day, they would shake their hand with one hand and have a knife in the other hand and stab you as you're shaking your hand. So to this day, Laotians shake hands like this. So if you actually see Kerpaw, uh, so in Burma, they're close neighbors there. They actually do this as well. They practice this. So if you see Kerpaw, it'll, 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 it'll put a smile on his face as if he's not already smiling anyway. But just put your hand, you hold your wrist, and you shake a hand, showing that you have nothing to hold and hide behind. This posture of surrender is where God always wants us, that we have nothing that we're holding on to, everything we're giving up, and saying we need you. And this is what David's saying, call upon the Lord. He will answer you. And that's the greatest thing you can read in that verse, that God will answer you. Um, This is the God of Jacob. This is a a familiar title um, in the Old Testament, but it talks about those that he helps that are in need. Um, It's an essential element in fighting battles because prayer, when you pray, it releases power. Do you get that? Like, like when we're praying, we're seeing the power of God displayed in these, in these prayers. I think we all, I hope, have moments in time when we've been praying and, and seeking the Lord. And, and his timing and his way, he releases his power in different ways. And his timing, his glory, his name, but it releases things. But, but you, are, you are robbed from seeing and experiencing that unless you are interceding. Uh, my wife just posted, uh, I should say that any day. Uh, she's always posting. Um, but she posted a post. Can you do that? You're right. Um, recently, about a prayer that we've been praying um, for a friend of ours and who wasn't able to get pregnant. And we were just praying that the Lord would just um, open up her womb and she'd be able to have a baby. And we've been praying that. Now, the Lord can do whatever he wants to. But we were praying that. We were praying that, that she would have a baby. And, um, and during the time, we just didn't give up. And every time we saw them, we grabbed the couples over. we just pray over them. And then, uh, sure enough, early on, they came over to our house and said, we want to tell you some good news. And they shared us this news. And we were like, yes, but we're also like, of course. Like, that's God. But, but how cool was this to be a part of this process early on and to see God release this power in that time? And it can happen through many things. But don't forget to look to God pre, not just post. So um, I played football, and I know you can tell. I played football in high school and college. And... Um, and so in high school, we had a secret weapon. It wasn't me, um, but it was a guy named Tal Phillips. Tal Phillips was uh, 6'4 and 250 pounds, and he was a defensive end. The big guy. Uh, I think they wanted to put him on other positions too, but he was really quick. And he didn't come in. He transferred in about junior, senior year. And so we were not very good then. And we started building up our offense, but we weren't known for our offense. We were known for our defense. And so I was a left corner defensive back. And, uh, and really, I was quite scared back there. I was hoping that all the tackles would happen before they got to me. Um, but if anyone came out my direction, I could shove them outside you know, the sidelines. But uh, I didn't have to worry about that when Tal Phillips played the game because Tal was a sacking machine. Uh, I don't know how many sacks he got that our senior year, but um, he, he took us to state. <laughs> and so um, when we got to the, um, the state game, I remember people not reading up on Tal Phillips and everyone doing all this piece on Tal. And a good friend of mine went to church with me and... Um, uh, and he never worked out. It frustrated me. He never trained. He never lifted. I'm in there trying to do everything. I'm like, okay, creation. All right, push-ups. And I was like, I can't do this. But Tal would be like, oh, I'm going to wake up and oh, I'm going to be a monster now. I'm going to tackle people. And um, when we played the game, Tal Phillips was our secret weapon. And he would just take out running backs. He would take out quarterbacks. And he'd make the game a lot easier. And so um, when we look at the power of prayer... We have to realize, it's not a secret, but we have to realize the powerful weapon that we have in battle. God gives us his very presence. God gives us his very authority. God gives us 
um, the actual power to release this in our battles. God knows how the battles are going to be fought, um, and he knows how they're going to be won, but he wants our faith to increase. He wants us to grow in grace. And so David realized this. So Psalm 20, he says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary, given you support from Zion. Uh, so David um, moves his ark. He was the king that's famous for moving the ark into the God's presence. And so the Ark of the Covenant was the very presence of God. Wherever the ark was, was symbolic of where God was. And so for people, this was great. Because up until then, um, they did not know if God was with them or for them or against them. But at this point, we, we see now that David did everything he could, even before kingship, to bring in the Ark of the Covenant. When it comes into Jerusalem, um, he throws his big parade, he dances, he's excited, because this is the very presence of God in the midst of them. And while he's, while he's seeing this, he realized that wherever this ark goes, it's symbolic of God's presence. Now, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have uh, an, a holy of holies to uh, prepare for. We don't have, um, as far as a, a priest that has to go enter in there on our behalf, we have access now to the, the covenant, which is in Jesus Christ, which is, which is uh, through Christ to God. We have full access to God and his glory right now. So we carry the ark wherever we go. We carry the promise and the presence of God wherever we go. And, and so, but David realized this symbolic fashion was something that he w- was going to prove to, the, to the, um, his people and to the enemy that God's presence was for them, for the nation of Israel. And so um, verse 3 comes in there. And so David says, May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt offer- sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desires and fulfill all your plans. When, when we realize that there's something for us to lay down um, we begin to see again the surrender and God work on our behalf. Um, God do everything and get God, God gets all the glory in that. So when he's talking about burnt offerings, he's talking about a total surrender. You would actually make an offering. It would, it would cost you. It wasn't something that was easy. It was a perfect sacrifice, but you would lay it down without blemish, and you lay it down on behalf of opening this window to God. But this burnt offering, when you laid down burnt offerings, it meant total surrender. So here's David pre-battle doing all of this. So a lot of people would like, okay, let's get more chariots. Let's get more spears. Let's get more uh, men. David was here worshiping and sacrificing before battle. Uh, so the plan was let's consider God first uh, in all that we do. Let's plan as God is always first. How does that tangibly happen in your life? So we have things that we're drawn to. We have uh, skills. We have things that we're comfortable with. We have um, circles of influence. And if we're not careful, Christians, we will tend to lend ourselves and look to our own strengths before we even consider God in those things. And when things happen and, and praises or accolades or, or encouragements come, um, while it's in, in good to receive those things, if we're not careful, we'll only receive them as if we did them all. And so, so Planning with God means preparing for God in every single thing, every business transaction, every conversation, every decision. And you're like, how can I do that? Well, you realize that God is a higher priority than whatever else you're about to do. And this is total surrender. So this is David pre-battle, but this is us in New Testament, New Covenant, that we are going to battle. Like there's battle being fought. So we have to lay down, we have to surrender, we have to consider God in everything. Can you imagine um, something that didn't work out too terribly great in your life, how you would go back and fix it. Do you ever do those things sometimes? Oh, if I'd only said this, if I only did this. Can you imagine being total surrender before something coming up in the future 
and saying, God, I want to consider you in this first before I ever step out into this. And just wait on the Lord. And wait to hear the Lord speak to you. Wait for the Lord to reveal to you. And then you do exactly as the Lord shares with, with what's on your heart. It would have saved me a lot of, of challenges in my life um, if, if I considered God first. Um, and, and it's still a challenge today. Because there are times I wake up and I think, I'm good. Like, I feel like I'm good. I, I feel good. I feel strong. Like, I'm going to do this. And I think of God later on in the day. But I should be thinking of God every part of the day. Uh, this is... Um, dwelling in the presence of God. This is considering him. So David worshipped him with burnt offerings, a total surrender. And David had this, uh, this heart to strategically prepare for battle by considering God before battle. Uh, verse 5. May we shout for joy. Now, again, I want to preface this. This is pre-battle, okay? May he, we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. So up until now, and including uh, verses 1 through 5, may has been used six times. So David is saying, may, may you do this, Lord. 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 May we do this, Lord. May we do this, Lord. May we respond this way. He's con- constantly looking at the king and saying, this is what my heart's desire is for you and for us. So David had this beautiful goal And the only goal that he had was that God gets the victory. Whatever happens here, God gets the victory. Throughout the Bible and throughout many battles, God says, show me your army. Okay, now trim it down. Okay, I know that there's thousands over there going to war against you, but trim down your your army some more. Okay, now trim them down some more. Okay, get to this, and now I want to consider these guys right here. And everything going into battle looked impossible. Didn't look like it matched up fairly. Didn't look like it was on the the, uh, God's side. But it always was about God. And so God is constantly trying to trim us down from the securities that we build up ourselves to trust in other things other than God. He's constantly slaying those down, revealing those things down to to lay them down. But this whole beautiful passage here of raising your banner is symbolic of raising the uh, victory banner. So in battle, you would go into it with a banner, but at the end, you would place a banner to say that that you've won the war. Um, but they were placing this banner, what he's saying in prayers right now, the banners ahead of time, that we already have victory. Like David's saying right now, we already have victory. I haven't gotten into battle yet, but we already have victory. Why? Why do we have victory? Because God is for us. We are surrendered. We already have victory before we go into battle. It's not arrogance, it's complete trust, and we'll find that out in a minute. But not only that, but the, the thing that he sets up here was the victory was in the unity. So David, in this battle in particular, he was a, a, a remarkable king in the fact that he was um, able to unite all 12 tribes to do this battle. Now, can you think about this? Um, you have uh, 11 brothers, okay? Uh, let's just pretend you have two brothers and, and that you get, get along. But 12 brothers, and not only that, but these 12 brothers become 12 nations and, uh, or tribes and that make up this nation and you all have your different preferences, and you've all been separated, and you've all been kind of doing your own thing for a while. And now David brings back all 12 tribes to fight one battle in the name of the Lord. So Aaron, the priest the, um, on earth, uh, Moses' uh, buddy here, he had a breastplate um, that he would wear. And on his breastplate, um, there would be 12 stones on his breastplate. And each stone was a different kind of uh, stone um, that had value. And each stone reflected a, 12, uh, a tribe of Israel. And so Aaron's worship, when he would go in 
and uh, prepare for worship was to show that Israel is united. God, we come to you because Israel is united. David's doing the same thing. Israel is united. We're going to battle because it, the 12 tribes are united. We are coming. This is called the Chosin, and this is uh, 12 unique stones that represented the 12 tribes. C- can you see how this plays out in our lives? Like When we are united, when we are together, uh, we are showing a, 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 around our community that we are for God, and this is what God's presence does do, and this is what God can do because of the unity that's in his family. But yet, what the enemy wants to do is to divide and to, to segregate and to change and to um, separate and to uh, displace and to become puffed up and accusation and division. And he wants to use all those things, and then we have nothing united for battle. And, and, the, and the enemy's laughing, and, um, and everything around us is mocking that this doesn't look like the bride of Christ. But where we win before battle is showing unity. Showing unity in everything that we do. And when you show unity, you have to show sacrifice because to be unified, you have to lay down things. Don't you, don't you understand that? We have to always lay down things. Preferences, um, arguments, uh, things that we have um, misspoken, things that we, have, um, we need to just get over. But the unity that's brought into this is the victory before battle. And so this becomes the central verse of the entire psalm here. It comes to this part where we don't remember um, as often in verse 5, but we see it uh, played out in verse 8. But verse 5 is the pivotal verse of this entire, entire hymn, of, uh, of entire chapter 20. Because it's from the unity that David saw victory before battle. I don't want you to get past that too, too soon because this is where God wants us to understand and function in. So verse 6 He goes on to say this, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven and saving might of his right hand. Verse 7, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we, we, David's army, David's leadership, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The Hebrew word here used means he has saved us. Um, he has delivered us. And so David's seeing already here that God has already given him victory because of the trust they have in the Lord. Now, um, when you trust God, it comes with a lot of risk because it puts you in vulnerable settings. Um, it puts you in places that you don't uh, naturally want to go. It, it, it makes you sometimes speak in areas that you don't want to speak. It makes you share things that you feel like are a little uncomfortable. It, it speaks truth in areas that you know may not be welcomed. But, but when you do this, when you, when you reveal these things and you, you, uh, you walk out and, and uh, surrender, God shows up in amazing ways. When I was in Boston, um, we, had, uh, um, we did summer missions there, and we were doing a, a variety of things. Um, but one of the things we got to do was work with international students at MIT. And, uh, man, I don't even know where these guys are, like, ruling companies right now. But I pray the gospel has gotten to them, and, uh, and they're leading well uh, because of the gospel lenses. But, um, but either way, we got to see such diversity of ministry there. One thing we got to do is we got to hand out the book of Luke. So the North American Mission Board had this goal that every uh, the focus city, which was Boston at the time, wants to be saturated with the gospel. So they, had, they printed out a little book of Luke, 
and they put it on a door hanger, and our goal was to um, hang them on doors. Now, if you live in, um, in a suburban area, it's kind of natural just walk around and hang on a door hanger there, especially in the south. Howdy, how y'all doing? You want some sweet tea? You know, it's probably natural and common there. But Boston, it doesn't play like that. Boston's a different beast in itself. And so um, we were predominantly um, uh, white people dropped off in uh, a non-Anglo white area. And, uh, but I'm, I'm cool with that. I mean, I grew up in Jersey, so I thought, like, this is good. But my, my friends, not so much. But I kept on saying, God's good. God's got this. As soon as we got out there, this large man comes out there, and he says, what are you doing here? Now, uh, we didn't all fit in. We didn't all look, like, the same in the area. And I, I, I was going through my mind. I'm like, we're good. Like, we're not doing anything bad. But I felt like we're doing something bad because I've, this guy was really large standing in front of me asking what we're doing here. I said, okay. I was like, what's going to happen? We're handing out the book of Luke from the Bible so Jesus can be first place in this neighborhood. And I just watched, watched him as he was flinching and clinching. And he said, you're not selling anything? I'm like, no. I mean, the gospel, I guess, but not really selling it. We're just giving it away free. Like, the Jesus, Jesus. He goes, so you're not, you're not selling drugs in this neighborhood. I'm like, oh, no, no, what? Drugs? He goes, people like you don't walk around this neighborhood without an agenda, and I'm trying to keep my streets clean. I said, okay, well, um, oh, I assure you, we're not selling any drugs, but what we want to do is we want to hand out these, uh, this book of Luke on every doorstep here possible. He said, all right. We well, tell him Franco's got your blessing. I said, okay. Um, thanks, Franco. So, uh, I said, Frank, you want to walk with me to a couple of these doors here? He was like, I got you. You just tell him Franco's, Franco says okay. And I'm like, all right. So I told the team, I was like, I don't know what this means, but when you knock, just say, hi, Franco said it's okay. I want to hand you the book of Luke. <laughs> Look, I think that times in, the, in our lives when we are at our most nervous part and we feel like we are uh, defenseless and powerless, when we just trust God and God shows us some amazing things, we saturated that neighborhood and we had some amazing conversations. And I don't even know if I had to drop Franco's name. But I, I, didn't, I didn't really need Franco, to be quite honest with you. I just trusted the Lord and what we were doing. But, but the thing is, is sometimes we want to hold on to something else that's more tangible that we can see. Um, my son Asher is uh, growing his faith. He was saved um, nearly two years ago, and uh, he's growing tremendously. Uh, he's witnessing to his little brother. That's pretty cool. Um, and, uh, but, but through the time, Asher has these journeys of struggle in his faith. And I'm telling you, this is, this is natural. This is how you grow. And part of it was, um, Dad, how, how do we trust God when we can't see him? I'm sure we can all relate to that. God, if I could just see you, could you just do this? Could you, like when you did this in the Bible, could you do that for me? Like that would help solidify that you really are real, which I believe you're real. But if you could just show that, I know and my friends would know that. But I already know that. But I would tell my friends that you did that. Like we want that extra thing. And God says, no, just, just myself is enough. You're, you're not going to get the fleece. Okay, I already did that. Okay, you're not going to get the, the staff that turns into a snake. I already did that. Uh, God's going to do uniquely what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, for his name and for his glory. And so I think the faith aspect of this is we just keep pressing in. So I told my son, I said, you know, uh, I've never seen God, but I'll tell you this, that I've seen God work. And so I, I would tell Asher about different things. I saw God do this. I saw God do this. So I want my son to beginning to look at the activity of God around him. And that, I believe, will help build his faith. But what happens here when... We don't have trust, or we have trust issues. So um, at youth camp, you guys have maybe have done this before, but um, have done trust falls. Anyone trust falls? Okay, so the, the goal here is to get your Bible study group together, um, or your, your camp group, and you put out your arms like this, and you alternate hands front and back. You're facing your friends, and you have this whole line of hands laying out like this. Um, and then you stand on a five-foot, six-foot platform, and you cross your arms and legs, 
uh, or you keep your legs straight, and then you trust all these strangers that you just met, uh, but they're Christians in your Christian camp, so it's okay, right? And then you, you uh, hold your arms, and they tell you to do this thing where you're supposed to wrap your arms around so you can't flail and knock someone's head over. So you do this, and then you have some commands. You say, ready, and then everyone says, ready. You say, falling, and they say, fall. And then you fall back, stiff as a board into the arms, and it's a remarkable feeling when you do it. You know what's not remarkable? is when you do that and you fall and you hit the ground. <laughs> we had this little girl, uh, and, and I was a Bible study leader, and I went through all the safety rules, and she had trust issues already. And I said, let me get this guy to do this first, the biggest guy we could find. I said, if we can catch him, we can catch you. And, he's like, and she's like, okay. So he went and did it, but he decided that it wasn't enough just to um, go backwards and just lean backwards. Um, he decided that he wanted to pull a Superman and uh, so, so he did all this, ready, ready, commands, commands. We all said everything we're supposed to do. Then he turns around like this and then launches off like that. He clears all the hands and lands right on his head, on his chest. Little girl crying, and she runs off, and I uh, have to send someone after her. And she never experienced trust falls. We have bad circumstances sometimes that destroy our trust. And when we do that, we transfer that. And sometimes the worst thing we can do is we transfer that to God. Because someone on earth hurt us. Maybe someone in authority, maybe someone, um, a parental person, a dear friend. But then we transfer that and to God. And God's saying uh, uh, the trust issues are inevitable here on earth, but they will never be in heaven. Never be with the relationship that you have with him. And he lays down this beautiful passage here. He goes, some, some trust in chariots. Now chariots and horses were, were for the rich, were for the powerful, were for the ones that had a lot. But what's interesting in the Bible is God, he didn't condemn chariots. Um, necessarily, but he didn't need a lot of chariots. Obviously, he's God. But he actually said in Deuteronomy how they're supposed to trim back on their uh, warfare. Um, they're supposed to lay down the, their chariots and, um, and not have as many. In fact, Solomon was the first king to disobey this, and he wanted, because he was wise, he thought it'd be wise to have lots of chariots. So he's the first king to disobey God's command and orders all these chariots made. But God wanted the people to realize you don't need these things to win. You need me. It's always been the same lesson. Um, so um, what happens here is when you come with a chariot, now this is the tank of your day, this is the Jeep, um, this is this powerful weapon, you, you're intimidating enough just standing on this chariot. Um, you have a spear, you have arrows, you have horses. Um, some of the chariots were fastened with, um, with deadly weapons on the front of them. And so uh, these chariots were intimidating just to see and hear. But God did not even want his people to have that angle. He wanted them to walk in the presence of his name, and that was enough. Like, that will make the nations tremble. But for the Israelites, or for the nation of Israel, they wanted to tangibly hold on to something that they could touch that would make them feel better in the name of God. And God says, you can't touch any of these things. Your hands are off. Your hands are off, and you trust me. So David says this, some... Some trust in chariots. Uh, He says, some uh, trust in horses. But we trust in the name of our God. I think we have a lot to learn on laying things down. But when we do this, we begin to see that God alone is victorious. In Joshua 24, um, he brings all of these tribes together. And they're settling in uh, where they're going to live after a tremendous victory. Victory after victory. I mean, Jericho alone was a tremendous victory. But going through victory after victory, Joshua brings them into the land they're about to settle. And as if they would have a secure faith in God alone at that planet, in that moment, at that time, 
they were still wavering about holding on to things that they had grabbed along the way or saw along the way. So Joshua, a very familiar passage here in chapter 24. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Like we can just take cue from that alone. Fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers that they served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, Joshua says, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. You've heard the story probably revival starts not with the people around you, but with you. You draw the circle, you step into it and ask for God to start revival right then and there. Like where, where God is most important has to begin with you. It's often for us to point out to someone else, you need to do this, but you have to ask the question, have I done this? Have I surrendered this? So David did this. Now, David messed up a lot, but in this sequence, in this psalm, in this battle, preparing for battle, he prepared for the Lord as such. Everything rises and falls on leadership, and David wanted to show that. He wanted to show that God is good. Verses 8 and 9, they collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. Now, a lot of scholars wonder if um, the reference here to the king, uh, who would this be? Um, they don't always agree that it's God or it's David. But either way, I, I lend to go to the camp of God on this one. But uh, because we get to Psalm 24, another Psalm of David, and he says, Lift your hands, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors. The king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Romans 8.31 says this, If God be for us, who can be against us? In 1887, um, a hymnist, uh, John Samus, wrote this hymn, and uh, I believe it's a pre-battle hymn. And uh, when he wrote this, he was inspired by Dwight L. Moody's uh, revival. And uh, he was impacted by the words that he was hearing from God. And he started writing down these little words here. And uh, as he was, um, testimonies were coming out. One man stands up in the midst of this, and he says, um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my life, but I'm going to trust, and I'm going to obey. So um, this is passed on to John. John takes these words and he writes these little few words right away on a piece of scrap paper. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. But I want you to hear, and we're not singing it, um, but I guess if you want to, you can. But listen to these, these stanzas. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. Do you see the symbolism here? For the favor he shows, for the joy he bestows, are for them who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. I think in all of this, where David lands this is this foundation doctrine is that God's name is good. God's 
name is good. You can trust God. And, and since you can, not if, since you can trust God, you can prepare for battle with God in mind. And that means laying things down, laying things down the altar, laying things down in full surrender that you trust in the name of the Lord. And when that happens with you, that changes the lives around you. Let's pray. Well, God, we love you and we thank you for a wonderful hymn, um, this beautiful psalm of learning to trust again. And I thank you that it comes from a, a position of surrender. It comes from also a, a powerful place of unity. It comes from uh, uh, laying things down in our minds and our hearts and our actions. It comes to a place where, where we, we cannot even take another step without your leadership, without your permission, without your blessing, without your guidance, without your light, without your hope. So God, may we become believers that, that function in considering you first and not afterwards. And we get away from this bless the mess, but we trust in you before anything starts. And so God, I thank you that in this we can see great victory in you. We can see with gospel lenses the kingdom at hand. You can, you can reveal to us these, these beautiful ordained steps by opening our eyes, opening our ears, and opening our heart to the things that you already have available for us today. And so, Lord, may we learn to trust and obey. I believe in hand in hand, it is looking at you, looking for you, and then taking the very step that you lead us to. So may we see your, your lamp as a light unto our feet, a light unto our path. And may we not lean onto our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you. May we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and know that you'll take care of all these things. May our, our desire be your desire. May our plans be your plans. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.